Welcome to the official broadcast of Life Fellowship Ministries in Kima, Texas. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. Be sure to visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. In this series uh, called Live It, <laughs> and uh, today's sermon is God's Prized Possession. And I love what you said this morning, Christian, about God's love for us. And, you know, we need to understand who we are in Christ. We need First, we need to understand who Christ is the power and the authority, the dominion, all of that that he has, and then who we are in Christ as well. And so this series is about becoming spiritually mature. And through this series, I've talked about the importance of being committed. Are you committed to Christ? And the the other thing that I talked about last week was the map to maturity, which is uh, laced throughout this series. It's about how do we grow and mature as Christian believers? How do we live this thing out? How do we walk it out on a daily basis? How do we live it out for you? And this week, I'm going to talk about oh, something that I'm passionate about, God's prized possession. And if you've been here for a while, you know where we're going with that scripture. But God, I want to talk about God's prized possession. And let me give you some insight. Look around the room. You're looking at his prized possession. So I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but I, I couldn't help it. I just had to move on. So uh, last week, uh, well, let, let me see. We're going to be going to James chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, and then Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. And our core scripture for this series is found in James 1, 22, which says, don't just listen to God's word, period. You must do what it says, period. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. So this morning, we will continue to drill down into the book of James. James is writing to Christians that live in a Gentile culture or a non-Jewish culture. A lot of the people that were surrounding them, these, these Jewish Christians, were, were living in these different areas. And a lot of them served pagan gods, which uh, um, a lot of them served multiple gods. They didn't serve the God that we serve. So they were living in a non-Christian culture. And James is encouraging them to remain strong in their faith, even in the midst of all the stuff that's going on around them. And I think the book of James, James should be encouraging us as well to live strong in our faith. And let's jump right into verse 9 that says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And I thought about this. Well, how has God honored the poor? And I think there are a couple of uh, points here. The first point is God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't evaluate others like we do. So what God wants to do for you and for your neighbor, he wants to do for me as well. God wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with all of us. And so we may judge others by external means. We may look at their clothes. Okay, well, yeah, they're, they're not dressed too nice. Or we may look at their car. Well, that's a junky car. Or, ooh, look at that car. I'd like to be driving one of those. Or you may look at their neighborhood or whatever. But we tend to judge things externally, and God is looking at our heart. You could drive the junkiest car in the world and have the, the greatest heart. You could drive the nicest car in the world and have the cruddiest heart, that's right. the darkest heart, the hardest heart toward the things of God. And it's really funny, we talked about this at men's group on Tuesday, 
we were talking about being encouraged in the Lord. And I think it was Steve that brought up, what is the first thing that men, I don't know how women do this, but this is kind of a man thing. Oh, hi, I'm Bob. I'm John. How are you? What do you do? That's the first thing. That's one of the first things we'll talk about is what do you do just to kind of break the ice? Well, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. Oh, wow. I'm a doctor. Oh, wow. I work for the sanitation department. <laughs> you know, so, but we, we instantly begin to judge based on what, what we do or where we live or the car that we drive. And God is looking at our heart. He said, I don't care about all that other stuff. You know, I want to bless you and I want you to, to have adequate transportation and, and have a roof over your head and have clothes to wear. But what I'm looking at is your heart. And so we need to have this perspective uh, of, of what God is looking at in our life. And then we need to have God's perspective and how we're examining and, and judging or are looking at other people. And so let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. So James is telling the Jewish Christians that this relationship with God is not exclusive to the Jews. Actually, uh, Peter is. Uh, that's a typo on my notes here. Peter is saying that this relationship is, is based on uh, the love of God. It's not exclusive to just the Jews. But Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Uh, in 35, uh, in every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And, and so this Greek word for fear means not like, oh, oh, I'm afraid he's going to get me. And that's, that's what some people think. They, see, they think of God and they think he's, he's looking to get them, man. I'm just waiting for him to mess up. But that's not what it means. This, this word fear means reverence for God, to stand in awe of. It's equivalent to worship, and it can be adoration of God. I think another word it can be is respect. We respect God. So it doesn't mean like, oh, run and hide. He's going to get you. He's coming to get you. It doesn't mean that. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. So we've already talked about that he's no respecter of persons. Oh, well, they're poor. I don't love them, or I love them less. He doesn't evaluate others like we do. God provides for the poor. And we know that when we give the first of our increase, the first 10% of our increase to the Lord, he promises, he promises, say he promises, he promises. to supernaturally bless us. Supernaturally bless us. And you, well, let's go to Malachi 3, 10. It says, bring all the tithes, not some, all the tithes, tithes means 10th, when we bring the first 10% uh, of our increase into the storehouse, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple if... That means it's conditional, right? If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. It continues on, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. I think he would say, go ahead, make my day. I want to bless you. I want to bless you so much, but I want you to step out in faith. I want you to trust me. I want you to honor me. And if you honor me with the first 10% of your increase, I will bless the 90% and it'll go much further. And I know most of you know what I'm talking about because you're tithers and you've seen the blessings of God. And we give not to get, but we give to reflect the heart of God and God honors that. God blesses that. The supernatural 
blessings of God are tied to obedience. The supernatural blessings of God are tied to our obedience. And I'm not just talking about provision. I'm not just talking about uh, money and provision. I'm talking about his blessings that go well beyond that. Peace, strength, encouragement, help when we need it most. Whatever it is, God is wanting to pour into our lives. God is wanting to take the, uh, the pain and the woundedness from our lives and our hearts and backfill that with his love and bring health and healing to us. There are so many uh, benefits to God's blessing our lives. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Obedience can also be connected to trust. Okay, do I really trust him? Trust is usually directly re- correlated to our relationship, right? If, if you trust somebody and they say it's okay to do this, then you're probably going to you know, trust them to do that. If you don't trust them, you're going to say, well, I don't know about that. You're going to be. So how has God honored the poor? He's no respecter of persons. Being rich or poor doesn't mean anything to him. He doesn't evaluate others like we do. He provides for the poor. Even the poor here in America are rich in the eyes of the poor in other countries. When we obey, God promises to provide abundantly. Let's look at James 1.10. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. Let's read on. Then the, the hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. Here's the thing. Our money can't get us into heaven. Our possessions don't make us more valuable in God's eyes. The ground is level at the cross. Rich or poor, we may all come with our sins and our brokenness and lay those at the cross. It doesn't matter if you have a Gucci handbag or a Walmart plastic bag that you're using as a purse. It doesn't matter if you have a three-piece suit or flip-flops and shorts and a shirt on. It's all level at the cross, and that's where we can bring our brokenness to the Lord and receive from him. That's where we enter into that relationship with Christ. And there are people, we live in a community that's very eclectic. There's a lot of people here that are wealthy, um, a lot of yachts and things like that. You have the beach. You have so many things that you can do. And there are people that have a mentality of, why do I need God? I make mean, $250,000, $300,000 a year. I have a yacht. I live in a nice home. I drive a nice car. But it's not based on those things. One, one day, all our wealth, positions, social status will be left behind. The only thing left standing will be our relationship with the Lord. Let's look at James 1.12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. How do you know that somebody loves you? How do I know that she loves me? Well, she's been married to me for 33 years. That's a pretty good indication. (laughs) But how do you know somebody loves you? Because you have a relationship with them, right? You know that you can trust them and and hopefully they'll speak truth into into your life. James 1.12 I want to look at the the end of this passage. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. To those who love him. That means 
well, you know what love is, but to have warm affection toward, to uh, have a relationship with. And he's promised the crown of life to those who love him. And last week I said that God will never tempt us, but he will test us. So let's look at the first part of the scripture now. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that, that God has promised to those who love him. So is this scripture indicating that God tempts us? No. How do we know that? Because we're going to read on. All right, let's look at verse 13. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So they entice us and they drag us away to someplace we probably don't want to go. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And so we've talked about this before, that it's a slippery slope when we begin to compromise, when we begin to go down this path and we end up somewhere that we didn't, we never thought we would end up. So verse 13 says, God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Verse 14 says, temptation comes from our own desires. And I would propose that the majority of our temptations are a result of our selfishness. I mean, think about it. Think about the things that you're tempted with or, or the times that you've uh, failed or, or fallen. What has, what has been the driving force in that? It's probably been our carnality, our flesh. But what drives that? It's our own sinful nature, but it's our selfishness, maybe pride. Pride is a form of selfishness. Oh, well, I, I want to look big so people will think good of me because it's all about me. Is your life all about you? Or is it about him? Are you living for him in all that you do? I'm living for me. Or is it I'm living for him? Please forgive my singing. Uh, don't judge me on that, all right? The Lord says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So I'm making a joyful noise. So are, are we singing? Are we living for me, the kingdom of self? Or are we living for him? I remember when I was a young child. And some of you probably don't remember these, or maybe you never even saw them. But in the grocery stores, they had these uh, bins, and they had candy in them. And they were called Brock's Candy, B-R-A-C-H-S, or something like that. And uh, there, was, there were these different bins of candy. And I think what you did was, we never bought any, but I think what you would do is you would just scoop some, put it in a bag, and then when you got to the register... They would weigh that, and then you, it was so much per pound or whatever. And so I remember one, one day, <clears throat> we went to the store, and I decided I was going to take some candy. So I took some candy, I put it in my pockets, and we got to the car, and uh, uh, I was eating some candy, and I asked my parents if they wanted some candy, and I said, where'd you get this candy? I'm like, from the store. They have it in these bins. Now, I think, I think really, I think I wanted to get caught. I, I, I knew that I had done wrong. I knew that I wasn't supposed to take that. I knew I didn't pay for it. And so they said, well, Mark, you're going to go back in and take the candy that you haven't eaten yet and take it back in. So I took it in, and they called the store manager. They kind of made a big deal out of it, and, and it was good for me. I never stole anything after that. <laughs> but that was just my fleshly, carnal nature. It's something that I wanted. 
and I wanted it right now, and I figured it's there, free for the take. And that's probably why they don't have those in the stores anymore, because <laughs> people probably come by, oh, I thought it was a sample. You know, put a whole pocket full of candy in. But our selfish nature is often driven by our sinful nature. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions, and I, want, I don't want you to answer, but I want you to ponder these questions. Why would a Christian choose to live a sinful life? Okay, we know what the Word of God says. We've read it, and you've been coming to Life Fellowship. You, you know what the Word says. Why would we choose to live a sinful life? The desires of our carnal or fleshly desires are strong. The Word says if we will walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how do we overcome the temptations of the flesh and, and the desires of the flesh? To stay connected to God, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? That, you know, that's the best way to do it because there are temptations for all of us. And, I know, you know, we may say, well, I know what's wrong. I know what's wrong. However, I, I, I'm going to choose to steal this candy. I know it's wrong, but, you know, I'm just going to choose to sleep with someone I'm not married to. I, I mean, I love them. It's different for me. No, it's not. I know it's wrong, but, you know, I'm just going to go to an inappropriate website. Just this one time. I know it's wrong, but I choose to fill in the blank. Listen, it's probably different for all of us. But, but what's the key here? We're choosing to do something. God is not making us do something. James is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. These biblical truths are for us and for them. But we need the word of God today. We need this. We need to grow up and mature spiritually. Listen, I, I'm not through the series. I, hope, I was thinking about this this morning. I, I thought, I hope they don't think I'm trying to beat them up. I'm not. I love you. And I want us all to grow up. Let's look at James 1.14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. I know we have some fishermen out there. What's it like when you get when you set the hook? Good. You, you, yeah, it's good, right? You're, you're dragging that fish right into your boat. You're dragging them right in. And that's what the enemy does. As we begin to open up areas in our life, he can get hooks in us, and he can begin to pull us away. And we end up somewhere that we don't want to end up. We were all created with a free will. We have the ability to make choices and decisions every day that have a direct impact on our life and the lives of others. Proverbs 19.3 says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. God, why did you do this to me? the needle in their arm. God didn't do that to them. This relationship with God is a catalyst to the abundant life Christ came to give us. James 1.15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. Spiritual growth and maturity is a process of transformation through Christ. Spiritual growth and maturity is a process of transformation through Christ. Somebody needs to tweet that. I'm going to say it again. Spiritual growth and maturity is a process of transformation through Christ. That's, that's really what it's all about. It's not about the process. It's about the relationship. It's about 
God having greater access into our lives and hearts. Spiritual death may come as a result of continued rejection of God in our life. Do you know people that have just been rejecting God time and time again? Or maybe maybe they go through a little season where they go through a rough spot. So, oh, well, I need you, God, now in my life. And, and then God does something and, and helps them out, and then they're back. Oh, I don't need you, God. I, I got my yacht, my $300,000 home, and my nice car. I'm good now. Spiritual death may come as a result of continued rejection of God into our life. Typically, those that end up in prison have lived a life of crime. They say that normally uh, people that end up in prison or, or have a crime-ridden life and started off with small, petty crimes, you know, stealing candy at the, at the grocery store, whatever that may be. Uh, they, they probably didn't go into a bank and rob the bank their first time out of the box, right? Okay, I'm going big. I'm Go big or go home, so I'm going to go rob a bank. That's probably not what happened. And so the same thing happens with us when we begin to compromise the Word of God and we begin to step over. So they start off stealing, you know, little things and then maybe get involved in drugs or whatever, and then they move on to something different, something bigger. And that's what the enemy does in our life. He's like, oh, come over here. Just take some candy. Yeah, take a little candy. Ah, wasn't that fun? Ah, well, why don't you take this? Well, now that you're at work, listen, this corporation, they make millions of bucks, billions of dollars. You know, what's a few pens going to matter? What's a, what's a, some paper, paper clips? It doesn't matter. Ah, but you know what? Why don't you just shave off a little time? Or why don't you uh, falsify that, that time card a little bit? They'll never know. That's where it begins. It begins in those small things where we begin to get comfortable in our compromise. Spiritual death is a process that results from the erosion of our relationship with the Lord. As that relationship begins to erode, then there's a process of, of, of separation from the Lord that begins to take place. And sometimes we can end up way far off from where we began. James 1.13, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There's accountability in the local church that is important for our spiritual growth and health. That's why I'm so glad to see you here on Sunday mornings, on uh, Wednesday night at midweek study, on Sunday night when we have the Starting Life 101 and the college and career and the youth and those things. It's important because uh, the word says that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, especially as we see the end times drawing near. So the local church is important not just to come to another service, but so that we can hear the word of God. We can encourage one another. There's something that happens when we come together and worship corporately. There's something that happens when we come together and fellowship corporately. Now, there are times when I'm alone and I'm worshiping. There's times when I'm alone and I'm spending time with the Lord, and that's wonderful. But there's a different dynamic. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about our birthday party next week because we will be fellowshipping together. That's what it's all about, man. Building these relationships, loving on one another. So there's accountability in the local church. 
where we build those relationships and we say, let me encourage you, man. I see something going on in your life. Uh, I love you enough to say, I think you should not be doing that. I see the harm that's causing you or your family, your relationships. James 1.15, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is in direct conflict with what God desires. Let's go to uh, John 10.10, one of our favorite scriptures here. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus came to bring life and overcome death. So sin leads to death, but Jesus leads to life. So choose Jesus. I like that. Uh, Maybe that can be another catchphrase for us. Choose Jesus and live it. Okay, so Jesus came to bring life and overcome death. Let's go to James 1.16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Have you ever been out in the country, you know, gone camping or something like that, gotten away from the city lights? I remember a few years ago, Christine and I went camping, and we, we just went and laid in the, the back of the truck and looked up, and then you could see the galaxies, the stars. It was so beautiful. And uh, if you haven't taken time to do that, I think we should all do that. You know, I know it's hard in the city, but I think we got to sometime this week, go out and just take a, a gander into the sky and just look at the majesty that God has created. But uh, James is writing here to people that don't have electricity. So the, the moon and the stars probably were very important to their life because they didn't have electricity. They couldn't just flip on a light. And so we probably miss part of the visual impact of what he's saying. God created everything, the sky, the mountains, the animals, the flowers, the stars. But when you look up in the heavens, you, you see the lights. And, and what does he say here? He says, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in all the heavens. He never changes or casts a, shift, or casts a shifting shadow. Verse 18, this is the heart of what I wanted to share this morning. Verse 18 says, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And at the beginning of the year, you know, we went through the series called The Word. And, and we understand that Jesus is the word. So he chose to give, God chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. We know that Jesus is the word of God. He gave birth to us when we were born again. You see the connection there? Jesus is the true word, and he gave birth to us through Jesus. When we accept Christ into our life, we're born again. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. You may be here today and you may be thinking, well, I, I don't know if I believe that. Well, that's what God's word says. It doesn't matter what somebody else has told you. It doesn't matter what you tell yourself. What does God's word say about you? He says that all of creation, you are his prized possession. Think of the beauty, all the beauty that God has created. Of everything he's created, we are his prized possession. Really understanding this truth will change your life. When we really begin to understand that God really does love us, okay, we stumble and fall sometimes, 
but we get right back up. I'm so thankful that his love is not based on our performance, but on his grace. Thank you for tuning into our broadcast. For more information, be sure to find us at our website at www.lifefellowship.me or call us at 832-864-2800. Have a great week and remember to live it. God bless you.